Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. We're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of the world of fermentation. (laughs) Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome to our 99th 99th episode. episode. We have a very special interview that we recorded at the Franklin County Cider Days, which we attended last month and had an absolutely fantastic time. This is Paul Corrente. Take a listen. This is Mary and Chris of Fomen About It, reporting from Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts. We're with Paul Corrente, founder, co-founder of Cider Days. So tell us a little bit about how Cider Days came about. Okay, I was at an uh, Apple conference in Belchertown, Massachusetts many years ago. Um, and it was a conference um, to educate apple growers on what to do with their crop. Because at that time, and this was... Uh, 22, 23 years ago, uh, farmers were not getting a lot of money for their apples and there was no byproduct from it. Um, so there are about 150 or 175 apple growers uh, in a barn uh, listening to a very, you know, and these were farmers, in, to a very immaculately dressed woman who was on the Washington State Apple Board. And she was eating a Washington State apple while she was in Massachusetts. And somebody asked her a question, and she was talking about making your farm stand look beautiful to attract customers, all this thing. And somebody asked her a question about, well, what about hard cider? And she answered that it was this nasty beverage that you would find at the back of the fridge after your sweet cider had gone bad. At that point, I got up and walked out, and another woman across the room walked out, and that was Judith Maloney. (laughs) We met in the parking lot, and... um, she mentioned that her and her husband, Terry, had just opened West County Winery. And then we got to talking. And I told her that I had started making beer, but then because of the apples and because of my background, I had lived in Europe and acquired a taste for cider. I had been making hard cider. And we had both researched the history and found that it was a real American beverage from the time of the settlers here in the 1600s and some of the here at Cider Day I'm sure you've had some cider that's had Roxbury Russet in it that was found that was the first cider apple developed in the United States in 1656 the wild hills of Roxbury above Boston so that's still a part of our history it's part of our uh, revolution it's a part of political campaigns and we found that nobody was making it anymore and this American craft was essentially gone except for some of the Yankee farmers that still made it in their cellar as a farm beverage. So we said, wouldn't it be great if we organized an afternoon where we could get homebrewers? Now, at this time, Carter had legalized homebrewing in 79. So we said, why don't we get a bunch of people together, homebrewers, since homebrewing was just starting, and if you have the same equipment, 
you can make cider because you can already get the juice. You don't have to boil anything. Why don't we get them together and show them how to make cider? I said, what a great idea. So the first year at their tasting room, which was no bigger than this little coffee shop we're in, there were three of us, Charlie Uchowski, Judith Maloney, and myself, teaching people, 27 people. That's a pretty That's good amazing. crowd back then, though. Well, you know, you advertise alcohol, you yeah. get a crowd. <laughs> in November. And we had a great time, and the first cider day dinner was in Judith and Terry's kitchen. We stood around with bowls eating soup. And that was 20 years ago. And since then, it's developed into the largest cider festival. I don't know if it's North America, but it's at least the United States. Yeah. Um, and this is the premier event of the kind. And we're, we're all very proud of it. And, and how it's grown from there, it's become um, an event that incorporates uh, farming, supporting local farms, supporting local restaurants, um, using cider as a healthy beverage uh, to be shared with family and friends. We found that orchards are planting a lot more antique and uh, uh, classic cider apples now because there's a demand for them. If you go to the markets or the farmer's market, you'll find that Roxbury Russets, Northern Spies, Baldwin, all fetch a higher price than the more common apples. Um, and what's nice in the past two or three years, we found that the making of your own cider is not so much, but commercially it's exploded. And our original intent of saving it from what they call the dustbin of culinary history has been realized. Uh, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Yeah. And it's great. And I was at an event at Bantam Cider uh, last week, and I was the oldest person in the room, which was great. So the younger folks, because it's a healthy beverage, it's a local beverage, it's gluten-free, it's more akin to a white wine where you can pair it with all kinds of foods, spicy foods, hot foods, which, you know, pizzas and chicken wings and things like that. It really fits in, and, and they have no idea of the history, but they like it on its merits, on its taste. And they also like the fact that some of the cideries that are opening are now urban Cideries, much like your local homebrew place, or I'm sorry, your local brew pub, and mm -hmm. they support that as a local business, mm -hmm. which is great. Absolutely. These are our first cider days. We've yes. actually been amazed. I mean, we went to several seminars yep. yesterday, and then we went to the, uh, the salon. Yep. Um, and then this morning we just had the homebrew. Yep. So tell us a little bit about the homebrew. So the homebrew salon is where... Yep home cider makers can bring their own cider Correct. and then you and Charlie Ochowski and Steve Platt, Pat, Pat yep. taste that yep. and give them a little feedback and then Correct. it's poured for the, for the Correct. crowd as well. Well, we still, <clears throat> um, we still feel, actually, Cider Day has grown so big. It, it takes place in many of the communities in Franklin County. There's cider-themed menus in all the restaurants. They do special menus. Um, all the farms open up. The churches open up to pancake apple pancake breakfast. We did that as well. Got to have, gotta have <laughs> the pancake as a, as, a, as a foundation before you yeah. before you hit the trail. Um, and what we've done is is still have that core of folks that want to make it in their home because it's such a simple beverage, fermented beverage, to make. Mm -hmm. And where this started as a bring your bad cider. We will taste it and try to figure out what you did wrong to help you improve your cider has become 
um, an event where folks bring their finished cider so that everybody can taste it and learn from it. For example, it's very hard, even though I have the vocabulary, to convey what a taste is <clears throat> to you or anybody else. It's just, it's especially the subtleties. It's very, very difficult. But if somebody brings, if somebody takes one batch of cider and they split it up into three five-gallon jugs and add the same amount of sugar and add a different yeast to each one, and you can taste that sitting there and discuss it with people, and then you go, oh, that's what English cider yeast, that's the flavor profile. Mm -hmm. Much I, I compare this to folks that bake saying, you know, if you use Fleshman's bread yeast or a sourdough starter, the taste of the bread is totally different, even though it's the same wheat, same water, same sugar, same salt. And people, if you put it in a cooking term or something somebody's familiar with, they can grasp it quicker. Yeah. So again, coming back to this, this is an educational forum where folks don't have to wait and experiment on their own. They can actually taste the differences that adjuncts, sugars, maple syrup, uh, brown sugar, white sugar, or different yeast, or different apples have on the finished product. And I'm going to segue this into BJCP territory. So I think, just talking about general kind of palate education, judging education, I think this is especially valuable because even as, you know, Chris and I are very familiar with the homebrew scene, but a lot of times cider makers can't get the kind of feedback that they want. Correct. They can't find people that have a lot of cider experience and can really evaluate their cider. So I think this... This seminar, not only will the cider makers get excellent feedback from people that have a very good palate for cider and the vocabulary and experience, but then everybody who's sitting in the audience, whether they brought a cider or not, can listen to you guys related to what's in their glass Correct. and also educate their palate. Correct. So it's fantastic. It, it is. And, and you were there tasting some of these treats yeah. that, that yeah. folks, you can buy some things in the stores and then but like like foods if you go to somebody's home and they make it for you the difference in the taste you taste things you've never ever tasted before um, and we haven't even gotten to the folks that bring mead the flower meads right. and, and the uh, it, it's amazing people are so talented and there's so much good food around here and to see it all come together inside today is pretty amazing and one thing that's great about Saturdays is sometimes we're tasting things as, on a homebrew scale because it's impractical to make them on a commercial scale. Correct. Because the education isn't out there and the appreciation for it isn't. So what Saturdays is doing and, and the, just this flourishing of, of, of cider and appreciation of it, that's, it's, those things are becoming more possible to be on a commercial scale, I well, think, with the, with the advancement. Correct. And what, what's happened is I, I've mentored a couple. It's funny how many commercial cider makers have come through Saturday because, remember, this is a grassroots, way back before it was popular, we were grassroots, we were local, we were supporting local economies, we were talking to our neighbors, talking to our friends. Um, this really starts at the bottom up, and we've, we charge $5 for tasting glass, and almost all the seminars are free, mm -hmm. with the intent of educating people. I work in a school now, and when I started my who's now my wife, she's a long-time teacher, she said, it's all education. You get quality when people are educated, be it on how to make apple cider or how to read a book or, or anything like that. So it's very gratifying for us. And speaking of book, uh, you wrote uh, The Art of Cider Making? Yes, I did. When was that? In, in uh, that was 
published in the 1990s. Um, my my humble book that sold for 9.95 is now available on Amazon for like $300. It never made it to the buck a book uh, table, which is very thrilling. So if you have a copy, you can make yourself some some good money. I myself got 60 cents a copy. So, but it's uh, no, it, it's been sold out, and it's um, people remember it, and that's pretty nice. Are you thinking about doing a revision or, a, or another cider book? I've been, I've been told that it's time to make another we cider need to book. Talk, yeah. You need to talk yeah. because <laughs> cider has become so popular. And now, instead of when we started, there were no yeasts available. Yeah, They're right. all kind of yeast available now. Um, and, and people are hungry for cider making knowledge, and there is very little. Correct, correct. So. Um, the, the home brewers and craft beer has really kicked the doors down on this. Uh, you were saying people are making different ciders now. Um, we tasted a couple ciders that are made with, with sour yeasts, and they found a wide acceptance because folks are already educated in how a Belgian lambic or a Belgian sour beer is supposed to taste. It's not just, you know, straight, plain Budweiser Miller type ciders anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a whole variety of ciders that people's educated palates can grasp so that even though a cider maker may not like a particular style, they find that some of their customers really, really like it. Yeah. And that was exciting about this the studio yesterday is that there was a huge spectrum of ciders being made. I mean, Bantam was there. They have a cider with peppercorn, the salon, yeah. with peppercorns and Remember what else? And then, um, yeah, there was just a huge variety of ciders, Correct. both large from percentage of dry hops. Ciders. Yeah, lots of hop Correct. ciders. So, what's your opinion of hop ciders? I've had them, and they're good. Um, I'm not a hop head. I, I'm not a big fan of IPAs only because I cook for a living, and I find them generally unbalanced. Mm-hmm. And it's all about balance for me. Um, and some of them. Like some of the IPAs are just, it's its almost like hot peppers. Well, let's put a lot of hot peppers in here and it tastes good. No, it just tastes like hot peppers. You can't taste anything else. Right. Um, I like them. I like what's, that cider makers are becoming a lot more adventuresome. And and that, you know, that craft beer has become what it is. Um, I've been telling people all week and they said it's the 20th anniversary. What's the best thing about it? I said, we won. We won. Ciders everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's in package stores. People are making it. They're planting more orchards. They're planting more apple trees. Um, you can go in the VFW at the end of my street in Peppel. You can find craft beer on tap at the VFW next awesome. to the Budweiser. It's like, are you yeah. kidding me? This is great. This is great. Next up cider on tap. Yes, next yeah. up cider on tap. Well, I mean, they talk about it now at the Craft Brewers Conference. You know, they, they, they don't see it as the same market, I would argue, differently. I think that, you know, rather, you know, the... It's a different skew. Yeah, Rising Tide floats all boats, and I, I feel like craft cider is, is in the same boat as, as craft beer making to me. And, and they were talking about it, you know, but they have to for a number of reasons. Right? Well, it's a yeah. different license, right? It's usually under a winery license. I mean, in New York State, we have a farm cidery license. Um, but a lot of times, I think in Massachusetts and Vermont, some of these states, they're they're doing under a winery license, not a beer license. Correct. And why that's happened, and why a lot of cideries. In the la- well, prior to the last three or four years, I've had a difficult time. I know I did some consulting work for Harpoon, and they, they've got, this is a big commercial brewery, um, all licensed, all legit. They couldn't make cider in their brewery because, right. not because they didn't have the license. It was not, cider had fallen so out of the public mind. 
it wasn't in the regulations. There was nothing to refer to. Somebody would say, I want to open a cider winery, and they'd look in the book of licensing, and they go, well, you can make beer or you can make wine, and it's not beer and it's not wine. You can't make it. There's no, and it's taken a while. You know, everything has to be regulated for them to write the regulations to be able to have a brewery make cider or a winery make cider or a cidery make cider. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. As a, as a cider fan and, and a brewer, I'm particularly frustrated that I can't have my gluten-free beer be cider at the brewery. Correct. Yep. That's, Correct. That's a, yep. And you had yeah, mentioned something about um, uh, cider and, and craft beer being different or the same. The fact is what people do now... I don't. I know very few people that just drink one beverage. They drink all kinds of beverages. The same thing with uh, people. Just don't go to an Americana restaurant. They go to a Thai place. They go to a Japanese place. They go to a Bolivian restaurant. They go to a falafel stand. That's the society we're in now. It's a global world for all of us. We know everything about everything all over the world. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Part of the good is different people's cultures, what they eat and what they drink. Absolutely. So I think it's all part of the same opening and education. Here's that word again of us all. For man about it. So you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Posting after the jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Welcome back to Ferment About It. We're listening to Paul Corrente, one of the founders of Franklin County Cider Days. So I want to go back to BJCP. Okay, and thank cider. you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yep. No, no, we talked about this yep. earlier. So okay. you said that you helped... I, I wrote write. the original... Um, way back when the American Homebrewers Society has an annual conference and they pick different locations throughout the United States. National Homebrewers Conference? National Homebrewers Conference. 
And one year they decided to have it in Manchester, New Hampshire, which is close to my hometown. It's 30 minutes away. So I got in contact with some of the folks and said, may I give a presentation on hard cider? It's a local drink around here. And they were thrilled. Prior to that, I had tried going to um, uh, amateur winemaking clubs to see if I could be included, again, to get more recognition for what we were doing, mm -hmm. and was flatly told, no, if it's not from grapes, we don't want it. It was like, all right, I'll go to the brewers. They'll drink anything. <laughs> um, and so they, they were very gracious and said, yep, go right ahead. We hit a home run. I went with my friend Larry Dubroff, and we stood there with 10 gallons of cider in a spit bucket and just got people by the arm and said, pour that out, here, try this. And we became known as the here, try this guy. <laughs> and folks were like, what is that? That's delicious. And it's hard cider. It's right from here. It's local apples, yeast. And um, after it became that popular, uh, uh, folks wanted that included in the style guidelines. I, I pushed for it to be included um, in the style guidelines so it could be judged on a local, regional, and national level. So they asked me to write the style guidelines, which I did. And at that point, to keep it simple, I wrote there were four categories. There was a lighter style category, sparkling and, and still, um, and then a, a stronger category for New England barrel ciders and then fruit ciders, which I thought it was quick and simple. Um, now it's become rather wordy, but, you know, again, it's very difficult to put words to tastes. I know there's new proposed BJCP guidelines, which we discussed. They've added iced cider as well as urban spice cider, and then renamed a couple of... Urban spice? Urban spice. Yeah. Urban spice. Urban spice, yeah. Urban spice. And renamed a couple. But what, where do you see this going? I mean, I feel like, personally, as a home brewer and home cider maker, and I... And I we drink a lot of commercial cider and beer. That cider, I mean, the commercial cider is growing tremendously. I think the home cider is following as well. More and more people are going to be, are going to home make cider. Correct. Home brew cider. So where do you see kind of the home cider, in just home cider crowd Culture. in America going at this point? I think it's going to go the same way that folks who can their own food, grow their own food, keep chickens, make kombucha, Dry, dry their fruit. Um, it's it's what you know. You live to be a certain age. You see the the boomerang coming back and hitting you in the back of the head. And if you didn't see it the first time, you see it the second time. Uh, generations of America have put up their own food, have fermented their own alcohol, have done what they have can to be as self sufficient, especially when it comes to food, because you can grow it, process it, and you know what's in it. And it's made with L-O-V-E love, which doesn't hurt. And I see that coming around with a, a new generation of folks um, trying to, again, make their own food. And I see I see same way home winemakers. There's a benefit to making it yourself. There's the pride in making it yourself. And I think the amateur... Um, maybe it won't be as complex. People aren't going to just make cider and automatically enter it. Um, most people will just make it and share it with their family and friends and they'll say it, it tastes good or it doesn't taste good. Yeah. Uh, but I think it doesn't hurt, again, the education, it doesn't hurt that so many people are getting involved that now if people want to get very scientific and very specific about it, 
they can enter into the different categories, and they can get that knowledge and have a, uh, a ranked judge send them back notes with detailed information so they can improve the product they're yeah. making. And I think that's what we saw today at mm -hmm. the, the homebrew share, yep. is that people really wanted feedback, honest right. feedback on the cider that they brought. They really want, I mean, everybody there that was there was dedicated to that bottle that you guys yep. were tasting mm -hmm. and everybody was tasting. They wanted feedback. They wanted to think about what they can do differently this harvest, you know, the cider that they're making this fall. Yep. So I think... It, well, everybody wants to improve what they're Absolutely. making. And, uh, again, we do it in a way that's very friendly, very fun. It doesn't take, you know, again, $5 for a tasting glass, and you're in. And you're in. So that was that was our uh, our goal from the beginning. Yeah. And, and uh, as an ex-president incorrectly said, mission really accomplished. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Paul. It was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time. And See you all next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I'm mad about it. I'm mad about it. One of our favorite activities was the BYO homemade cider tasting that we mentioned in Paul Carenti's interview. Um, it was led by Paul, Charlie Olchowski, and Steve Pat. It was super fun. So we recorded it, and we wanted to bring a little bit of it to you. This is just a taste. It went on for an hour and a half, 30 different ciders. It was amazing, and we hope to see you there next year. Good morning. Welcome to everybody's cider tasting. <laughs> Of us? Yeah, yeah. Will we make it through to the end? Maybe not. Okay, so how this works, so how this works for everybody is we pick up a bottle and whoever made it has to stand up and own it and talk about it and then we'll pour it and we'll discuss it. Um, we don't make any judgment on it. Just tell us, tell us what you made and how you made it. Um, if you don't know, this is Steve Pat. Oh, yeah. He's an accomplished cider maker, and he's been coming to Cider Day for many, many years. Uh, my name is Paul Carenti. I am a cider maker as well, and have been coming to Cider Day since before Cider Day. So, just to remember that we started this with, when I say we, I mean all of us started this 20 years ago. And when we started this class, we called it the bad cider class. People would bring their ciders, and we'd taste them and try to analyze them and see what went wrong. And over the years, we found that we have almost no bad ciders. So it just becomes a continuation of yesterday's party. <laughs> and thankfully, we don't get any bad ciders anymore. Oh, here comes Charles. <laughs> oh, crap. Yeah. Charles. So, Charles. Hi. Pile Orchard makes great breakfast, but it's a little late today. They're really slow. So let's have a round of applause for people who put this together 20 years ago and made it the greatest. Who did that? Who did that? 21 years ago. 21 years ago. So take a look at the. Oh, hi. <laughs> yeah, I don't see Phil. I know Beth. She's always intrusive. She's a, she's a local paparazzi. <laughs> so anyway, we gave the introduction. This is Charlie Wachowski. For those who don't read the police blog, I'm... <laughs> 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 That's right. So, um, 
Boy, I don't know where to start except uh, this is nice. Yeah, this is great. You know, the cool that the cool evolution about this table. We Twenty that. years we did ago, that already. Oh, you said that. Oh. I'll shut up. <laughs> We've been on time, Charles. If I may. If I may, I yes. Have a sir. suggestion where you can start. Go right ahead. I call this a throwback. A throwback to the bad cider days. Oh. <laughs> I have my very first batch of cider. Wait a minute. Oh. Wait. Oh. Cider yeast and nothing else added. It was run of the press from Carlson Orchard. Oh my! Where is it? Goodness! In Harvard, Mass. Where is it? Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's kind of right in front of you, sir. Um, I've your name, Steve. Yeah. Um, it's got the white label on it, like a, a Oh, the label. one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the white, the white album. There it is, right there. Right. Okay. Is that the outtake? Crooked Stream. Okay, that's another name for Woburn. That, it, Woburn, Massachusetts. That's where I live. And how old is this? Um, that was um, last year's. Yeah, it's last year's, 2013. Um, it was uh, first, uh, the yeast was thrown in in October last year. All right. And it was, um, okay, I have to talk about it? All right, well, here it goes. Um, yeah, that's, that's the point. I let the primary fermentation go on too long um, and it was exposed to too much oxygen, I think, before I racked it off. Okay. So that's why I think um, it tastes as bad as it wow. so you, <laughs> How do you define too much oxygen? Three weeks, a month, two months? Uh, uh, oh, too long for the primary? Uh, yeah, too much it. oxidation. How Charlie, you want to oh, pour that I, I so think, we can I start? I think it was probably a week too late. A week too late. <laughs> it's, it's a little sharp um, and dry, but this, there's nothing wrong with this. It's not infected. Very good. No, it's not infected, so you could ameliorate this by what the French, the, the winemakers in Burgundy call magic hands. You can make sangria out of this, you can add fruit juice to this. Most people will find this a little too tart. I'm sure you do too. But it's it's certainly not bad here. What were the base apples and the juice? Do you remember the percentages or anything? Oh, no. I, I asked James who was the guy pouring yeah. it off, and he, he leaned down to the spigot of the back and he started smelling. He said, I think we got Macintoshes yeah. in there, yeah. <laughs> some Cortland. Yeah. So he it, it's sure. just, it's the standard orchard blend of dessert apples. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when that's fermented, there's not, there's a lot of sugar and aromatics, but not a lot of tannins and guts. <coughs> so when it ferments out, it becomes rather thin, although the fermentation is clean. So by throwing something in it, it gives it more complexity, makes it more interesting. That's, that's all Paul is yep. saying in a polite way. A lot of times, what uh, what we'll do with Paul and I ferment together, and we will add, we'll take that early juice, early season juice, which is this. What 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 type of what time of year did you get this juice? Okay, so that's pretty early. And a lot of times, what we'll do is we'll make a we'll add uh, fruit to the cider and ferment, do a primary fermentation with some. A different kind of fruit: raspberries, blueberries, cherries, elderberries, Concord grapes, that kind of thing. And then that kind of covers up the weakness of the uh, of the juice profile. Yeah, we just use the juice as a base. Your early ciders too, like October, they haven't stabilized yet, and there's a lot of sharp acids at that point in the uh, apple's uh, aging process. 
another good reason why this weekend was sort of chosen is a lot of the early apples have stabilized by now, and then you've got the heirlooms coming in that require a longer hanging time on the trees. We've got a lot of cider, so we're going to try to yep, move along here. Um, that was kind of an experimental one. I wanted to come up with like a, a cider that tasted kind of like Christmas. Um, so I took well, a bunch it tastes of, like my oh, wallet that's been deprived. <laughs> really leathery in character. Okay, so they're four the same? Yeah, um, So I, uh, I pressed the cider. I added some Lyle's Golden Syrup, some dry cherries, cranberries, figs, right. and dates, right. and some cinnamon sticks. Yeah. Really, if I did it again, I would I would chain. Uh, there's too much cherry uh, right now. So this first, I mean, anytime you do some wacky new idea for the first time, you know, it's yeah. an experiment, and you take it from there to dial it in the second time and third time and right. so on. Uh, but I wanted a glass of Christmas. So that's yeah, that's a glass of yep, Christmas. Yep, that's, nice. that's a glass of Christmas. You got that right. <laughs> very spicy, very very Christmassy. Steve, did you say this is last year's? I made this last year, yeah. Mm. Now, again, what, what you're tasting is a cider that there's nothing the matter with it. From a, from a fermentation, it's not infected. Cider is very delicate. It's like a light white wine. You have to be very careful yeah. with the dry cherries and the spices. It's not like... Um, very heavy-handed. Yeah, it's not like red wine that you're making a spiced red wine for the holidays where you can throw a bunch of things in because red wine is, has a lot of guts to it. Yeah. Um, but if you just backed off a little on this, it has yeah. all the yeah. taste. Next time I was going to cut the cherries in half. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's I don't think the cherries is the think, problem. I think it's the spices. It's the spices that are overwhelming. Be, it's like a lot of Christmas beers. They're just there's way too much cinnamon because these guys don't cook for a living. If you cook, you know you got to you can always add a little more, add a little more. Okay, okay let's be careful. I, I, let me my comments. Right, go right ahead. Anyway, I, I always feel that. Um, Subtleness gives you more mileage. I agree. And the thing is, and that's true with fruit, spice, anything you put into a beer, cider, whatever. And as a judge, I feel that those are a little bit more convincing to me. If someone, some thought went into the process and the way it comes across your palate. Yep. And over the top sometimes does not wow people. It's, it's sort of like... And the other thing, spicing, be careful your choices because some of those, the holidays are over... Come March, and you still got a case left to drink. And some of those spices go downhill. They oxidize in a funny fashion, alcohol beverages, and they really get really like almost annoying to drink. They're not no longer expressing the spice. It's something else, and it gets really boring and hard to drink. But yeah, I got five gallons in a keg. Whoa! So, uh, I gotta get going. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Foment About It, and we'll see you next time on our hundredth episode. Fun man about it. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 